This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. This is Neil McMillan inviting you to join me for Pulse of Politics. I'll be bringing you 30 minutes of interviews, conversation and commentary on issues that matter. That's Pulse of Politics. With only four weeks remaining until the general election, we need to be asking how well do we know the people campaigning for our votes? How well do we know their their parties? Are we unduly influenced by the image, the persona of the party leader? Or do we consider what this party stand for? Their record, their trustworthiness. Now, most people, for instance, would recognise Labour and National as the two longest-serving political parties in New Zealand. But who comes third? Well, it's Social Credit, a party that's been contesting elections since 1954, and for most of that period, until we got MMP, it was the only serious alternative to Labour and National, and it had numerous members of Parliament. Social Credit is now experiencing a potential resurgence. It surprised many people with a series of full-page newspaper advertisements during the recent lockdown, and it's again contesting a number of seats on October the 17th. So we're pleased to be speaking this week with one of its candidates, Warren Voigt of Dunedin, who's contesting the newly formed constituency of Tyree. Welcome, Warren, to the programme. Thank you, Neil, and it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Warren, Social Credit's main platform has long been monetary reform, and ideally it's been trying to persuade other parties to its way of thinking. I mention this because you even stood for New Zealand First in the last election in the hope that New Zealand First was leaning that way. But what was your experience? Well, sadly, my experience was not what I'd hoped for. And after the promises that were made prior to the election in regard to restructuring of government funding along the lines of uh, what Social Credit might hope for uh, by Winston Peters and also the fact that they were anti the Trans-Pacific Partnership Agreement, um, I joined in with them and thought, well, there might be an opportunity to get into Parliament and um, further the cause of Social Credit, of which there are a few former members in New Zealand First. Sadly, even before the ink had dried on the coalition agreement with Labour, um, the New Zealand First Party signed the uh, amended CPP uh, agreement with um, with Labour and pushed the deal through, even although um, even although there was uh, no United States involvement in it, but it opened us up to ISDS clauses and a lot of other stuff. There was also to be a, a um, an amendment to the Reserve Bank Act, mm. and I think Social Credit has hopes that this would include some of the propositions that have been putting forward. 
That's right. But uh, as has been the case over the years, there's been a lot promised uh, and as happens in politics more often than not, not much delivered on. And although I understand there might be something in the wind in regard to uh, the Reserve Bank Act um, perhaps in the next term, depending on who gets in, um, I won't be holding my breath. To, to cope with the fallout from the pandemic crisis, the, the government is spending unprecedented sums of money, tens of billions of dollars. What would social credit have done? Well, on the surface, it looks as if um, Grant Robertson, the Minister of Finance, ha- uh, has sourced that money directly from the Reserve Bank. Uh, which is the way that uh, social credit would have it. Unfortunately, that isn't the case. What's actually happening is that uh, the Reserve Bank has uh, bought bonds off uh, foreign banks, superannuation funds and the like. They've bought old government bonds, and the government then has turned around and sold new bonds to the same organisations in order to give them the capacity to loan money back into the economy, thereby meaning that we've got not only a a debt to pay for future generations, as is always the case, um, but we've also got the interest to pay on top of it. Social Credit believes that we can and should fund directly through the Reserve Bank to the government, and there is no reason why that can't happen. Uh, Abenomics in Japan is doing it to the tune of 46% of the economy uh, every year, and um, that was started by Shinzo Abe about 12 years ago, and their economy hasn't tipped over. So I don't believe that the government's doing what it should do, and it's just uh, ensuring that we have yet more debt to take care of when it's not necessary. This use of Reserve Bank credits, it goes back many, many years. In fact, the first Labour government was committed to using this and did so in some circumstances. That's correct. Um, the Savage Labour government, backed by John A. Lee, who was a, also a big social credit proponent, um, that government, uh, the Labour Party, had 20,000 uh, social credit uh, members and uh, supporters in its membership ranks. And because they needed to lift the economy out of the depression, um, Savage um, put in place uh, Reserve Bank funding directly into the economy in order to build infrastructure and succeeded in building 30,000 houses, not to mention other reforms that came in the succeeding years up until the 1980s, uh, such as uh, share milk price um, subsidies and also um, uh, forestry programs and the like. Um, but unfortunately, once uh, the banks got their hooks into uh, the likes of uh, the mainstream governments, like such as Rob Muldoon with his Think Big projects, all that started going, um, being pushed to one side, and we got into our debt cycle that we're currently suffering from now. Social credit has been used, I gather, also in Australia, and more significantly in Canada. That's right. I had, um, um, uh, I forget where the region was in Canada, but that succeeded for quite some years. And people say, well, why don't we use it? Well, 
there's a lot of influence, I believe undue influence, brought to bear on sovereign governments by the international banking cartels. They make a lot of money. They make $5 billion a year out of New Zealand economy in interest alone. And so consequently, they usually find a way of getting back into and uh, destabilising economies, if you like, by um, just pushing credit as being the only way that um, governments can fund uh, projects, whereas in actual fact that has been proven not to be necessary. I mean, after all, if leading all our major leading economists at the moment um, are saying that we can use Reserve Bank funding, as was quoted in the ads you mentioned before, and if the Reserve Bank Governor Adrian Orr says that that can be done, and even former... Pro- National Prime Minister Jim Bolger, then the question has to be asked, why isn't it happening? Because the fact of the matter is now that we have all these projects I'm hearing from all the other candidates on the trail for hospitals and roading and this and that and the next thing, uh, the poverty that's going on, we've got ambulance services that aren't being funded when they should be. Uh, and the, the, the bottom line is simply this, we can actually fund those directly through the interest saved alone from not having to borrow offshore. Warren, another major social credit policy has been the introduction of a financial transaction tax, ideally as a replacement for GST. How does that work? Okay, so as I understand it from talking to somebody involved at the time when GST was being considered, they also considered financial transactions tax. And I think it could be just the fact that in those times in the 80s, the technology didn't exist as it does now to be able to digitally deduct uh, a certain small percentage of every transaction. So consequently, GST was brought in at 10%. It's now 15%. That uh, can be accounted for by businesses, but it can't be accommodated for by the, the people who are most severely impacted on it. And so what the proposal is, is that we would gradually, in the restructuring of the economy that social credit proposes, we will gradually replace the $18 billion a year brought in by GST with a 2% financial transactions tax, which is virtually nothing because um, visa transactions and the credit card transactions, paywave, etc., they all carry a small um, transactions tax on them, not to mention the fact that we could through a a similar transactions tax encompass a lot of revenue from the overnight speculative markets on the currency exchanges of which New Zealand is the ninth most traded currency. And the benefit overall, if I can extrapolate a little bit, is simply that if you take GST off things like food, you enhance the health of people. There's been talk about taking whether you take GST at some time off processed or raw food. Well, you can take it off all food. And what's more, you could take it off all public services, you could take it off everything, and that would mean that people would have more money to save, it would help lift people out of poverty, pay down debt, it would make businesses more viable, they would be able to uh, employ more people consequently. The economy would have um, an immediate lift, I would predict, within two years. So it's something that we're seriously considering uh, that should be brought in over time as part of our general plan for restructuring the economy. If this meant abolishing GST, would it compensate adequately? 
Oh, absolutely, because the lift in, act, in activity would mean uh, um, um, a corresponding lift in revenue for the government. It would also mean a, a drop in the amount that they would potentially have to spend on social services because the, that's what's pushing things over the edge at the moment. The 15% that everybody, whether they can afford it or not, has to account for, has to pay for when they buy everything over the counter or pay for their electricity or pay for the their phone, it all has to be paid for. You can think about the benefit of removing such a punitive tax and it would mean that the government would therefore not have to step up as often as it does and hand out uh, relief packages for poor people. Hmm. Would there be difficulties in administering this? No, I don't believe so. You know, um, we're obviously, there's an increasing um, move, um, I don't believe very wisely actually, towards a complete digitisation of um, the monetary system. So therefore what that indicates is that these days it will be a very simple matter to simply um, programme uh, the deductions into uh, the banking system so that they would go directly to government. Mm-hmm. Now, social credit initially wasn't set up as a political party. It was a social credit association in the hope that mainstream political parties would adopt its policies. And then in the 1950s, when it was feeling frustrated, it formed the Social Credit Political League. That was under Wilfred Owen, as I recall. That's right. So I think if you're indicating uh, why did it become a political party, so that was because we felt that ultimately we could do more uh, more constructive work by gaining direct influence in the political arena. Um, you alluded to the fact of hoping to influence parties. I think uh, since 1954 and even since the time that the likes of Vern Cracknell, Bruce Beetham, um, Morrison and the co have represented social credit policies in Parliament, uh, we still have yet to see a direct uptake of our policies by the main parties. Uh, For whatever reason, only known to them, one can only speculate. But I think unless we get a social credit government directly influencing government policy, we are going to continue to suffer under the orthodox economics which are leading this country further and further down the unnecessary debt hole and creating problems for future generations, not to mention what we're experiencing at the moment. Another significant thing is that Bruce Beetham, mm. as leader of Social Credit Party, was uh, instrumental in promoting major petitions to get proportional representation. And finally, we got it through MMP. That's right, yes. And um, we saw, uh, uh, perhaps I, I perceive a, an increase in the democratic process away from what was a fairly, um, a fairly disjointed first-past-the-post situation. But ultimately what I'm seeing now is that we're not actually, we're getting to a point where um, people are kind of gravitating in the main and still focus, or at least the people when I'm talking about uh, the mainstream media still are focusing on um, 
uh, personality politics and the leaders of what essentially comes down to a few of the main parties. So I think we need to perhaps look at an STV system to, uh, as social credit has also um, wanted to happen uh, in order to bring things back to a more even uh, queue. After all, the threshold of 5% does eliminate a lot of people and prevent um, their input into what is a democratic process. Listeners, we're speaking with Warren Voigt, social credit candidate for the Tyree electorate in next month's general election. Warren, what other social credit policies would you consider particularly relevant? Well, um, at the moment there's a debate about TN80. Um, we believe that we can replace TN80 ultimately with some more innovative uh, methods of um, killing pests. Uh, we don't believe that has to continue. Um, insofar as there's um, men- mentioned by, uh, I think, the ACT Party that they want to reduce superannuation, that's a political football through so through a social credit um, economy, that wouldn't be necessary because you can fund superannuation with the extra $5 billion we'd be saving every year. The TPPA, as I mentioned before, um, was supposed to bring to New Zealand an extra $4.7 billion. Well, that's chicken feed, if you think about it, that uh, we would gain that just in the first year of the savings we would make through um, a social credit economy. We would have the money there for the roading and the bridges that were promised on the last election. There was great stock put in the fact of the bridges that were going to be built in Northland, I think seven or ten of them, yet to see anything. All I'm hearing about is the truck drivers in the north who are getting their trucks wrecked because of the potholes that are increasingly appearing on the road. So all the promises that these parties are making are not going to come to anything unless they can actually fund them. And the only way that they can realistically fund them without incurring more debt is to go through Reserve Bank funding. And um, I think that those are the policies that need to be seriously looked at. Environmental issues Mm. seem to have loomed large Mm -hmm. in some of the advertising we've seen. Yep. Okay, so it's interesting that should be brought up because we would hear a lot about the environmental issues with, uh, we for instance don't believe that the um, carbon tax is a viable thing, we think it's just basically a scam, Uh, it can't possibly do what uh, needs to happen, we need to tidy up our own backyard instead of paying money into the Wall Street slush fund which doesn't actually achieve anything. Um, In 1973 uh, Social Credit produced a paper called you and your environment, which preceded uh, anything uh, such as the Green Party, who came much later into the piece. Um, we've got, we believe that, for instance, if you want to reduce the toll on the environment, then what we need to do is ultimately reduce the consumption and production cycle that is increasing in order to repay uh, the interest that goes on every dollar that's issued into our economy. Banks issue an extra to 20 to 30 billion dollars every year into the economy. That money has to be accounted for, the interest has to be paid. And so, therefore, if that doesn't have to happen because it doesn't under a social credit system, we don't have to pay that debt back, mm. then we can reduce the impact on the economy. Taxation 
is always a big issue before elections. Does the uh, either the promises of reduced taxation by some parties or the fear of increased taxation. Now, you've touched on the financial transaction tax. What about other forms of taxation? Where does social credit stand there? Well, social credit has a full range of um, taxation policies, which uh, I can't go into at the moment. But what I can say is that uh, if you want to (coughs) increase the tax take, um, the best way to do it is to uh, make sure that you've got a viable economy that everyone is contributing to and that therefore there is going to be enough money coming back to the government. At the moment, we're seeing um, a lot of business tipping over, partly due to the, the COVID crisis, but there's also other things that are playing playing into it and we've got an increased reliance on overseas production. There's a lot of stuff that we could do in New Zealand. We can build fire engines in New Zealand. Um, we had railways um, workshops in Hillside, uh, why can't we do more? Mm, uh, the older people in the community will be quite familiar with our social credit because they'll be familiar with leaders of the past. Mm-hmm. Newer, younger people will be less familiar because it hasn't had such a profile. Mm. What's been the reaction of mainstream media towards social credit in recent times? Well, that's somewhere between ignorance and um, indifference. Um, we have put press releases to the media, and including the major ads that we had, but subsequently press releases to the ODT uh, showing the policies that we would bring into play and um, also the candidate um, announcements for myself and Zaria Winder, who was the uh, um, Dunedin candidate. Um, none of those have been printed, and as a consequence, um, my attendance at some of the uh, meetings such as the Musselboro Baptist one last night, uh, didn't happen because I guess in some ways people don't know that we we are there. So there's a lot to be said about the indifference of the mainstream media pushing what is ultimately a leader's style, personality-pushed election, which I don't think is democratic. Mm. Warren Voigt, in our final moments, Parliament in its wisdom has decided not without opposition, I might say, that some prison inmates will be entitled to vote to this election. Well, one such institution, the Otago Corrections Facility, is within the Tyree electorate that you're standing in. The Electoral Commission has determined that uh, prison inmates will have access to election material, including radio and television, but candidates themselves will not be permitted to hold meetings or to canvass individual prisoners. What's your view on all of this? Well, I'm, I don't really have a fixed view on the matter of um, prisoners voting other than to say that ultimately they will re-enter society. And um, I always thought that the reason for uh, having someone go to prison was uh, a punitive way of teaching them a lesson. Uh, Perhaps we should involve them in the process, I'm not so sure, but I think it would be a half-baked situation if candidates can't be exposed um, to them to um, give their policies. 
And finally, Warren, uh, there are two referenda being held in conjunction with the general election. Uh, one is on the recreational use of cannabis and the other on voluntary euthanasia or assisted dying. Where do you stand on these issues? So in terms of cannabis legislation, I think that um, given that there's an increased use in uh, alcohol and um, illicit substances in our society, over, particularly over recent years, uh, I believe that's more of a, um, an indication of a lot of unhappy people. And so therefore, uh, I don't believe that um, we, we are looking at the right uh, issues in regard to reducing the harm from that. However, having said that, I don't believe that criminalising the use of a drug that's been around for uh, millennia is going to be constructive. I think education is a better thing. So actually, I'm in favour of the legalisation of cannabis, or at least decriminalisation of it. Uh, and in terms of the end-of-life choices, um, in the current uh, variable, uh, more progressive political environment, um, I don't believe that um, the end-of-life choice uh, uh, would not potentially lead to people misusing that ability um, to uh, shorten lives unduly. So at least at this point, I'm voting against it. Mm. Warren Voigt, unfortunately, that's all we've time for. A very thought-provoking insight into social credit policies for the forthcoming election. Uh, and as with all candidates, Wish we, we wish you well. Thank you very much, Neil, and thanks to listeners for listening. Uh, vote, don't forget to vote, and um, thank you very much for inviting me on. Listeners, we've been speaking with Warren Voigt, social credit candidate for the Tyree electorate on October the 17th, and that's our program for the week. And this is Neil McMillan closing with a reminder, you can catch Polls of Politics at the same time every week on air, online, or on podcast. You've been listening to Pulse of Politics, broadcast every Sunday evening at 8 o'clock on Otago Access Radio. If you'd like to hear this program again, you can download a podcast from oar.org.nz. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.